Hi, this is the second Bushwick Book Club podcast featuring songwriters and their songs inspired by Americana by Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie, which was the chosen book for the first One Book, One New York initiative, which in case you aren't familiar with it, is an experiment from the mayor's office turning the whole city into one enormous book club for a few months. I'm Susan Wong, the founder of Bushwick Book Club, and last week I had a few songwriters over in my kitchen for Americana-inspired cocktails and conversations. We also made cookies because as Ifemelu, the main character in Americana, wrote in her blog, racism should never have happened, and so you don't get a cookie for reducing it. So pardon the chewing, but those are the Americana cookies we don't get for reducing racism. Wouldn't it be great if we could reduce racism by eating cookies? Like there could be an anti-racism cookie or a um, racism reduction cookie. I would eat a box a day. I would I would eat them for other people who maybe couldn't get to a cookie that day or are having a slow cookie week, or perhaps they don't even like cookies, although I don't know who that could be because they are not my friends. So besides the cookies and cocktails, you're also going to hear clips of the performances recorded live from the show we had at City Winery on May 12th for One Book New York. There's also a conch on the table. That uh, that we call the conch of truth, or sometimes the conch of destiny, and that contains prompts for our Americana discussion that we draw from towards the end. It's very, um, it's a, it's kind of Lord of the Flies, actually, a different book. Uh, there's also a painting by artist Cat Flannery, inspired by Americana, that we look at and discuss. You can see a photo of that and the other two paintings she created for the show on our Facebook page and website. The songwriters not in my kitchen who you will also hear songs from are Karen Cool and Jim Flynn, Janelle Lawrence, Juliet Garrett, Annie McCain Engman, Terry Radigan, Swan Durstie reads her poem, and Ivan Edaberry presents a reading. The ones in my kitchen I'll let introduce themselves. My name is Jennifer DeVore. I'm a cellist and composer, and I'm part of the duo Zentripetal with my friend Lynn Bechtold playing violin. We performed the song, You Mean Her Hair Doesn't Grow Like That, inspired by the book Americana for the Bushwick Book Club in One Book, New York. Hi, this is Jesse Kilgus. I wrote and performed this song, Americana, for the Bushwick Book Club show based on Americana the book for One Book, One New York. I'm Charlie Neeland singer, songwriter, musician. I wrote and performed the song Strange Familiar, inspired by Americana, for Bushwick Book Club and One Book New York. Hey there, I'm Crystal Hawes, a singer, songwriter, and teacher based right here in Brooklyn. I wrote and performed the song The Gap, inspired by Americana for Bushwick Book Club and One Book New York. Hi, I'm John S. Hall, and I'm a guy who writes things and performs them, and I wrote and performed with my friend Roger Manning the song $100, inspired by Americana for Bushwick Book Club and One Book New York. Okay, here we go. Into the kitchen. Welcome to the, to the Americana Bushwick Book Club podcast. We are having drinks. The drinks are awesome. Actually, I'm the only one who has one so yeah. far. But let me just say, as the one person who has a drink. Sounds good. I have one. Is there a theme to yeah. the drink? Yeah. There is. It's called, I called it the Americana accent. Oh. Um, she talked a lot about accents. And you can, you know, you can have a very strong accent or you can water it down. Mm-hmm. In this case, the accent is ginger-based. Oh. It has like a, a coconut uh, realm in which to exist. It's banana and fresh coconut, which Jesse brought. Yeah. 
and um, and ginger infused vodka. Yeah. Cheers. So healthy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You can compare. You can. Um, you can blend it up for this drink if yeah. you like. You can add flax seeds and um, <laughs> aloe juice or something. Do that to your accent. Kale. Oh, yeah, oh Blaine. Nice. Yeah. Oh, and I also make cookies. In the book, they talked about eating bananas and peanuts together, so I made a cookie with banana and peanuts and flaxseed. This is vegan. Oh, wow. wow. Do you want to try it? Awesome. This is non-vegan. This has, um, I, I didn't want to use curry powder in a cookie sure. because, you know, it's like a savory thing. So instead, I just used the turmeric oh. from the curry powder. And so this is turmeric and uh, egg whites um, and coconut and almonds and uh, wow. and uh, bananas. And bananas. That's going to be good. Fantastic. Well, I've already had six of the vegan ones, and they are delicious. <laughs> <laughs> Let me tell you. I'm really high right now. <laughs> Uh, no. Is there vodka in the cookies too? Because mm -hmm. let me tell you. Wait, can I can I curse? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, we'll we'll let you know. And we can't talk and eat at the same time, so maybe this is a bad podcast move. But I wanted to hear about your experiences with, with this book and with uh, writing your song. And now that we've had the show and everything, what has it been, you know, post book club show? It's more relaxed. Because, like, having done it already, uh -huh. I'm not worrying about, like, how it's I going to be done. Write it or improve it or abandon the whole idea and start over again. So I'm not worried about any of that. It's already done, it's in the past. Although, if time isn't actually linear. Mm -hmm. Wait, is there LSD in these?
is Karen Cool's Blue For You, recorded live at City Winery. How did you feel about your song and your performance? As a person who usually um, hates myself and everything I do, mm -hmm. I was surprisingly not offended by my song. I was not offended by your song. I loved your song. Mm -hmm. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, no, I thought it came out all right, considering who wrote it. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, and the book was really inspiring. Yeah, mm -hmm. I mean, I she's a great, down. beautiful writer. Yeah, you know. I didn't want to start reading to have. I had to put it down to start writing my song. I was like, I wish I had more time. I'd rather just sit and read. That's actually what I was my tendency when I was in school. I've only written one piece before that. You guys are all calling them songs, I know, but I call it a piece because I'm from the classical world. But um, no, I'm so glad I finally got, you know, came up with an idea. But that was the the hard part. The reading part was like such a such a joy. Did you guys? How long did it take you to write your songs? It took me, I think, longer to read the book because in my mind, if I didn't finish it, mm -hmm. then I had a good excuse to not write a song. Oh, it took me most of that period of time to actually read the book and yeah. then the writing of it it was all there it was like a as I was reading it the ideas were happening but I was like if right. I don't finish I won't really know how this resolves so um I probably the Monday before or the Tuesday before I finished reading it and then I still waited right. to write anything yeah it was a lot to take in the book there are so many different things happening yeah I feel like um so many different issues she was covering um race in america which is huge her whole blog thing was really interesting to me um the, the love story was not the most compelling part of the book to me i don't know what everybody else thought um but i felt like it was it took a while to read the book and then to process it in my head before i even thought about writing anything i was going to say that i found it really really interesting to see white people through the African's perspective, to see how we deal with race. Like, when, when there were like the two saleswomen in the store. Oh yeah. And they're like, the one with the brown hair. And she's like, why can't they just say the black woman? Like, that's crazy. Yeah. I took the blog and um, the, about hair, which is another thing that's just mm -hmm. like something that's not, I, I don't know. My friend actually just adopted a biracial baby. So now, and she's white and the baby's half black. And so now we're like, I have been spending some time with them with the hair and learning so much and I know it just sounds silly but it's just one of these things you don't deal with it's such an intimate part of your daily life did you find yourself um, thinking more about racism after reading the book I did I, did. <laughs> <Absolutely>. <laughs> I usually don't think about it that much you know I mean like but it's not like you don't experience it or whatever but yeah. it's like wow this book made me really think about it and I didn't realize like you said that like certain things I take for granted other people you know don't know about or just don't think about and so you know just reinforce that thought that it's important for everyone to share their stories like I, I think it's boring or normal whatever I go through and you know certain aspects of my childhood or like who could possibly be interested in how my mother taught me how to you know like wash my um, private parts but like that's a really different aspect you know than how other people were taught how to wash their private parts and it can be interesting to someone I, I have a weird this is so random I just dressed my four-year-old I was I'm from like European culture where I don't know if you guys know this either but like I was told not to wear underwear as much as possible not with my clothing but like with my nightgown and my Oh. pajamas and like that's long underwear it's healthy to let it air out but I, my husband is um thai and filipino and chinese and his mother is always like you 
you need to have your underwear. Uh, so my daughter, like t literally tonight, right before I came here, was putting her pajamas on after a bath, and I noticed she didn't put them on, but then she flipped out and had to get them on. Like, what's that about? Like, <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> but it was like one of those cultural things that like people clearly have really strong opinions about that no one talks about, right? And here we are on the radio. <laughs> <laughs> Good point. I should have written my song about that. I'm sorry. <laughs> Dropping the eagle proverbs, very cool. When the first kiss it was low, you wanted to chase me. We made out at your mom's house, but she didn't shame me. You think black Americans are high. You like Huckleberry Finn, I do not. I'm American bound, but my love will be waiting. Oh, Benzay, when we touched, I couldn't feel the ceiling. But you're so far away, oh, Benzay. Now you're rich, don't keep happiness waiting. And I need you to pay your Benzay. America has messed me up. It's so hard for me to make a buzz. I dated a white guy, he got me a green card. I dated a black guy who thought black life was so hard. Oh, Benzay, when we touched, I couldn't feel the ceiling. But you're so far away, oh, Benzay. Now you're rich, now you're rich. Don't keep happiness waiting. <laughs> and I need you to pay your Benze. When we touched, I couldn't feel the ceiling. Uh, no. Um, that's Barry Mandel's song. He's from Williamsburg. Um, <laughs> thanks a lot. You just heard Jim Flynn's Americana song recorded live at City Winery. It made me think a lot about the experience of um, immigrants moving to this country and, and that experience more than racism, I think, because I feel like that's such a prevalent thing in the country right now. Well, I think for me, um, I am black, since people can't see me, <laughs> but, and, and for me, the book put like words to things I've always noticed culturally that were different and like I've always felt weird about being called African-American because I've never been to Africa. Mm -hmm. None of my ancestors, they are eventually, but they're so far removed from me that I don't have that touch. Like everyone that I know and that they've known and before them is from here. And so I remember when I was living in Harlem, walking on 125th Street, and the like African women on the corner would yell at me to braid my hair. Mm -hmm. And my hair is big. Well, it's been bigger, but it's like natural and an afro. And I never got why the braiding was so important to them. Like I felt pressured to 
braid my hair because it was like they wanted me to. And it was like the cultural differences, even though we might kind of look similar mm -hmm. on the outside, are so immense. Like I'm so American in my culture oh, yeah. that I don't even want to attach it to any label that I might have because I don't have that, like, I feel like I'd be putting on like a costume. I remember like getting dressed up when I was younger for like church. Mm -hmm. in a black church and we put on this like garb to me it was like a costume and it was like traditional fabrics and like head wraps and I felt like I was playing pretend right, like right, I was right. and I didn't get that like did you go to that church a lot when you were a lot like I grew up in that church and we in, were in, all in Harlem like, no out in Long Island I'm from Long Island uh, and we were all like black Americans mostly from here mm -hmm. um and it was weird that we took that on because none of us were African, like, mm. in that way. It just always felt weird to me. And, and like, yeah. her account of, of, of what she experienced coming here was the exact opposite of what I see. We're having, like, the same conversation from a different perspective. And I don't think about race a lot anymore, but I used to a lot. And it was just, like, a really interesting other perspective. And, like, what is so different? Like, in that how she didn't think about race when she At was in all. Africa, but it when she came what? here, like, then she was confronted yeah, with like, the whole idea. What? Like, yeah, all these things are so obvious to yeah, me. To me, it's obvious, too. Yeah. yeah. And, like, what a kind of, like, a gift to not have that. Yeah. To, yeah, like, okay. to not, like, to come oh. here and not have the burden of thinking about race. Yeah. Uh -huh. Even though you are, people are thinking about you in racial terms. Uh -huh. Sure, it's, sure. It's, like, such a cool, it's, like, poof. But on the <laughs> other hand, I had the opposite thought. <laughs> where um, I realized that like us thinking about race, it's, it means we have the luxury of thinking about race because we have the luxury of being exposed to a lot of different races. Because like, yeah, in those other places, there's only one. So you don't have racism. And it's also really great to have just the pureness of that one culture. But, but on the other hand, it's always the most exciting where cultures overlap and intersect. So racism is like a part of you know the friction that happens because we're allowed the luxury of being around each other, you know. So it's just like, wow, thank God for racism. Or well, not exactly, but you know what I mean. It's, it's like, an, like but because twice. we have the luxury yeah. of like being able to intersect <clears throat> with each other, you know, that's where all the cool shit happens. Yeah. You know. <laughs>
interesting I, I i've never really thought about it i mean i've thought about this a lot because where i work uh i work in a law firm where it seems like a lot of the black people that have like better positions are actually not african-american they're they're immigrants mm -hmm. from outside of this country and i used to think you know what is this thing that like why can't they hire black americans you know mm -hmm. like for these positions and it irritates the hell out of me um and I'm thinking more about like how we use this word racism um, as a catch-all, but there's something uniquely different about the um, the way we discriminate against people descended from slaves. Yeah. It's different from yeah. like it's our own special thing, yeah, our own yeah. special American thing. Yeah, there should be a different word for it. Yeah. Because even though black immigrants can experience that because like if you're behind the wheel of a car you know you're just as much a descendant from whether you are right. or not right so you're seen that way and yet you don't carry it with you all the time yeah it's not the, yeah, it's not the same. so that's a that's a big difference and plus i like how this book talked about how african immigrants can put some of that stigma on on black americans as well mm -hmm. um and even like the you know this I think, you know, she makes it almost, I think, on page one or page two, this, like, uh, what, what is the term she uses? Non-American non black? Yeah. How, how did she put it? You know, um, you know, to make that distinction, which I had never seen made in a book before, even though I've noticed that phenomenon repeatedly. Mm. So that made me really happy. I didn't write about that at all, but, mm -hmm. like, I was really, like, drawn from the very first page to, like, you know the kinds of things that she thought were important to discuss because I hadn't heard them discussed in a book before. Really, uh, a different approach to the the problem of America that than I have seen. You know, like you can read Baldwin, you can read Ta-Nehisi Coates, and this, but like you won't see. You know, because she's coming at it from yeah. an yeah. outsider's yeah. perspective. Yeah, really neat. But also treated like an insider. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She has like she's kind of yes. like. She can be like a double agent. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yes. She's observing, That's but really she's good able to like also yeah. receive kind of. Because she's incredibly emphatic. I mean, empathetic and uh, distance and gets the, the feeling. Well, and, and you get that. And so she goes through a whole phase of realizing that her African accent oh, yeah, is yeah. making things difficult. So you get the inside of her process of de-accenting herself yeah and then she has that revelation and it just like brings it back and that and then we're key point in the book yeah
Americana song performed live at City Winery. I also like the structure of how she would uh, bring out these very poetic turns of phrase, like towards the end of each chapter. Mm-hmm. Right? There seemed to be like a structure, yeah. like like right at the, the last few sentences of each chapter, you go boom, 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 and you, mm-hmm. you she threw out these image these images, and she'd be like, okay, "I'm underlining that, I'm underlining that, and I'm yeah. underlining that." <laughs> like at the end of this chapter, she says. And she thought, watching her, how the old Auntie Uju would never have worn her hair in such scruffy braids. She would never have tolerated the ingrown hair that grew like raisins on her chin, or worn trousers that gathered bulkily between her legs. America had subdued her. Dun dun dun! Right. It's always like that. <laughs> I just picked that randomly. I remember that. <laughs> when Obinza kept talking about going to New York, and and um, going to New York, going to New York, and finally she went to New York for the first time. And her word was dazzling imperfection. That was the streets of New York. And I don't know, I, do, I really love that turn of phrase. I decided to write from Obinza's point of view. I was sort of blending both of their experience being estranged from each other. And uh, there's a particular passage. This was actually after she had landed in Nigeria. And she said that she was falling into the strange familiar. And it was like, okay. Underline that. 
And I was like, well, I, keep, I want to go back to that. And when I first went to college, I saw King Sunny Day play. It just really blew me away. And I was thinking, is it, isn't he from Nigeria? <laughs> and I went back and listened. I was like, well, yes, he is. So I was, you know, listening to King Sonny and then playing my song. And then it was like Monday. I was finishing the book on Sunday. And on Monday, I'm like writing the song. So by Tuesday, I woke up and played the song and I hated it. It was just like, oh my God, something's so wrong with this. It's, it's like Graceland. It's like me playing. What happened? Where did I go wrong? And then I was like, okay, no, I'm not going to stop. I'm not going to give up on the song. There's parts of it I really like. And then I made a chorus that was just more me. And then it kind of pulled the whole the rest of it into focus. And then Susan and I started playing it together, and then all of a sudden all the rhythms became much more vibrant. There are so many turns of phrase that I lifted for here and there, and I just like combed through it and made it into something that was mine. But that's, uh, that's my song, that was my experience. Charlie Nealon's song, Strange Familiar, 
phrase. There were so many great terms of that phrase. In my song. <laughs> One of my favorites was I loved how she described relationships and how she, she described she, she just described the dynamics of them in a way that was um, really detailed and uh, it felt really real to me. She said um, being in a relationship with Blaine was sort of like being in a nice house but looking out the window the whole time. <laughs> ah, I hate those relationships. <laughs> and like, there was one instance in uh, the very end when she goes back to Nigeria and she's on a date with some guy and she says she listened to him with a wide internal yawn. And I'm like, see, that's why I don't date. <laughs> I have to ways. say, I admire Femalu a lot and, and w- was really impressed by her as a person in terms of what she accomplished in her life. But I didn't really warm to her all that much because I felt like she was really judgmental and could treat people badly. And that kind of kept me outside of embracing her as a character. For that reason, I embraced her as a character. Yeah, that totally was, yeah, I noticed that and I was just like, oh, I love her because, you know, she does stuff that's not like technically right, you know, and yet I just thought, you know, hey, those guys give her a really hard time for sleeping with other men, you know? I mean, she got, you know, flat from her other boyfriends for whatever, but like, how young was she, you know? I'm like, she's in a new country. You want to, you know, get to know the lay of the land and... People have different experiences. I admired her. I admired her and I couldn't put, put the book down, but I just. She's not easy. Recorded live at City Winery. I wasn't so into the love story part of, I was surprised 
and slightly disappointed by the way that the book ended. Me too. Yeah. Because it was yeah. so focused on the relationship. Yeah. And I was like, you, you, you as a person have grown so much, have become so much more independent, I think, and confident in like yourself in certain ways. And to like rest the last few moments of the book on like a challenging yeah. relationship it was just like, ah. Oh, too um, neat in a way. Yeah. And like the I feel like the love story was the simplest part of the the story because we've all like experienced those things. And she was talking about so many complex other things, nuancy parts of life that I was kinda like oh. I, I mean I appreciated it and like Yeah. I, of course I, and I think those relationships gave um, a voice to some other interesting things that happen around race and around like being an immigrant, all those things. But I was like, ah, I don't know. The ending was, yeah. Yeah. Okay. If everyone's sad now, you can eat another cookie. <laughs> 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 Excuse me. I have a little bit more Americana cocktail. But um, but cool. What else do you want to talk about? Do you want to talk about your songs? Yeah, I can talk a little bit more about process because, like, what you know, what I've been doing with these Bushwick Book Club things is generally is like just focusing on like a very brief part of the book, whatever the book is, rather than try to like encapsulate the book itself. So when I get to a part that really moves me, you know, I usually make a note of that page and then I'll keep reading. But with this one, um. I had gotten halfway through the book and I had had a few ideas, but I, I wasn't getting through the book fast enough. And it was like a week away from the show and there was a part that really moved me and I went like 30, 40 pages past reading and then I was just like, it's gonna be this. So I went back to that, looked at it really carefully and just sort of took that part apart and put it back together again as a song. And I chose that part because it hit me emotionally. So it's the part where she's like really uh, desperate for money. Um, she had been counting on this babysitting job and the book is already foreshadowing to the fact that she's going to get that job, but the character doesn't know that yet. So she goes through this kind of desperation. So what I really liked about that part of the book was like, she seems in this desperate situation, but you already know she's going to be okay. Mm -hmm. um, but when I wrote the song, I made it like, she doesn't know she's gonna be okay. So she's yeah. like going to go this route that's really like shameful for her. And uh, I like the way all the emotions were captured. And I really liked that like we already knew that, you know, this wasn't gonna be a career choice for her. You know? <laughs> yeah. So. Complaining the rent is overdue The babysitting job didn't come through There doesn't seem to be anything else she can do She's haunted by that one strange interview He said, help me relax, I'll take care of you She doesn't know what that means exactly what he means to do. She doesn't want to go, but she's on the train. He knows she won't leave because she came. She doesn't know exactly what's gonna happen. She knows. 
Jesse, you wrote more of a summary kind of song, right? There were so many parts of this book that I underlined and, and thought about a lot and thought would be good subjects for songs um, that I didn't choose, ultimately. I, I was kind of drawn to a specific language that I really liked, and it, and it happened to be two ends of chapters. As Charlie was talking about, there's a one line, oh, how mysterious we are, and then she, there's that bit towards the end where she had just recently started things up with Obinze again and she was talking about it was raining where he was and it wasn't raining where she was and she was waiting to watch the rain. It's important for couples to share weather. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, Make all the difference. I was, I guess I was also struck by the idea that she had so smart and accomplished, had so many options. She went to another country, made a big success of herself and then chose to go home and make a success of herself there, too. She bristles ass when I talk With the woman who braids her hair While far off in some basement somewhere DK's got the red Grace never existed Thank you. 
How Mysterious We Are by Jesse Kilgis. And you, you already spoke a little bit about writing your song. Yeah, when I decided that I was going to do this, mm-hmm. I don't think I realized what the book was and was like, I'm just going to, whatever it is, I'm going to do it. And then That's was a good kind way of to like, but then because I don't think about race a lot, mm-hmm. I was kind of like, oh, oh man, <laughs> like this is the book. And like, oh, like then in my head, I'm like, I need to like represent the book well from the black person. And I mm-hmm. started doing all of this stuff, which I like left a long time ago. So like coming back to do a song about it, I was like, okay, how do I do the song? I had a question about that too. Mm-hmm. Like y- you reconciled it, you said, how did you reconcile it or like in the past I mean how did you come to terms with that now you know like you said in the past you had you had feelings that were you know like it's too tiring to like represent Uh you just you just let it go yeah like I'm just me Uh who I am and like like it's unfair to me and anyone else in the world that looks like me for me to try to speak for them or them to try to speak for me and I don't always do it perfectly I obviously like it came back when I was thinking about writing the song, but it took like many years. That was like through co- all the way through college. Sure. Um, not until like very recently that I got more yeah. like mature, I guess. But I was not into writing the song for a uh, while. Well, and I, I tried to email you, like I tried to not email you. <laughs> okay, good. So that I would be like, ooh, <laughs> you got plenty of people. But um Cat ate my song. Yeah. But I'm happy that I did. I mean the process is like for me was great because you have to have something. Yeah, you have to have something. If you say I'm gonna be there, yeah, it, it's not gonna be polished. Like I could polish it and polish it and polish it, but it's gonna be something. Yeah. And um, that was like a good way to push. Me. Yeah, I like that song too because it works on so many different levels. Um, you know, like the gap between people and always that challenge of like communication. You know, and it's trying to reach people and you just see that in so many ways in the book. And so it you know causes sometimes uh, suffering or, or or pain or miscommunication. But then that's like also the best part when you can actually cross that gap and communicate and, and have an exchange with somebody. Which is why I really liked that this book was chosen for one book, New York, because it's like, oh, now we all have this author's voice and this perspective in our heads, you know? It's cool. We can all say Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie. Yeah. Ah, Or Ngozi, or whatever. Or you can mess up her name in a really creative way.
Now I'm crying out and I can't figure out what I am doing, what I am doing. Where is the gap between us? Is it the way I wear my hair or say a phrase excites me in no other way? Crystal Hawes, The Gap. You were able to represent all aspects of what you were thinking just by let, letting it go, I think. So I don't know. I thought it was really good. Yeah. No. <laughs> yeah. That's what, that was what I intended, Charlie. That was actually what I'm going for. I don't know if you could see it. You landed it over here. <laughs> And Jennifer, you already talked about your song. I really liked all the different um, rhythmic elements to it. I loved how, you know, you presented your piece with your cello and with violin. And I love how it's like, yeah, I bet you never heard a funky cello before. Well, listen to this shit. <laughs> I mean, I have my own fears of, like, appropriation and all this stuff. I'm like, I'm some white girl taking, like, I stole, I didn't actually remember who I was stealing from until I asked my husband later. Because I'm like, I know this bass line. I was, like, thinking of, like, hip hop. And I was thinking of like things that were played on the actual bass instead of, I mean, they're samples, but they're like old jazz samples. Uh -huh. So that one I ended up with is totally appropriate, but it's from Nas, um, okay, oh. New York State of Mind, oh. which is perfect. But so then I also listened to the um, Nigerian music that she mentioned. Well, I knew uh -huh. I already know Fela, but then there was a, I can't, I couldn't find it. There was a woman who was really wonderful that she references uh -huh. from like the 70s. I'm, I'm sure I've, I literally looked at my book and I couldn't find the, the page, but um, so I listened to those and I got some Nigerian rhythms. Mm -hmm. So that was what I was trying to go with was to overlay those two things. And then I was like, I did have my own like stress about like, you know, can I be using all this stuff? And I was like, you know what? I'm just gonna make music I like that. It, that's what I was inspired to do yeah. based on this book and get over yeah. it and whatever. Mm -hmm. It's hard enough to write a piece and put myself out there, but I just like, that's what I was inspired to do. And it was really, really fun. To oh, I'm so glad you Have the that. opportunity. Yeah, yeah. No, it's not political.
whole divorce piece, you mean her hair doesn't grow like that? I, ha I can also relate to that kind of experience of like, oh, who am I to sing the blues? That's, I've gone through that, you know, since I was really young because that was just naturally the music that I was drawn to. And so, okay, I have no business singing the blues apparently, but you know, I have to. Because when I first heard it for the first time, I knew it was my home music, the end. What am I supposed to do? You know, like not sing the blues? No, I don't have that choice. But like, so, you know, it's hard to sing. And then people would say, well, why do you sing in that accent? I'm like, well, how, am I supposed to sing in a yellow accent? What is that? What the fuck is really? that? Oh, you know, God. like, oh they wanted you to, to sing in a different. You know, accent. I, well, I mean, like, I grew up around mostly white people, so now I sound mostly like a white person. But like, what am I supposed to sound like? I don't know. You know, so I'm just like I sing the music I like, and but it's neat though because as I do music more and as I get older, I'm like. Oh, you gotta feel for like what inflection is like truest for you, and then you just use that, and then it's like you just have your own little true meter, and so you can tell like what feels right, and then like I, lo I love that you said yeah. that. That's where I was somewhere. That's and amazing. she wrote that in the book. Oh, here I have the quote here. It's in like the very first uh, chapter, and she's talking about the fat woman wearing a short skirt. Oh, right. You remember uh, this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 This well, it's such a visual book. Yeah, it made <laughs> such an impression on me. Um, That's right. She says, uh, The fat woman's act was about the quiet conviction that one shared only with oneself, a sense of rightness that others failed to see. I'm like, that's the, yeah. the only way. <laughs> yeah, that's like how I live my life. That's it, you know? And I, I feel like that's how um, that main character, that was her, her guide. That's what she wanted. That's what she was trying to find and follow. I felt like Obinze wanted a certain sense of truth. And so, an honesty, or a certain sense of that, or whatever. I felt like other people, I don't know, we don't have to go through character analyzation. I was an English <laughs> major. But, um, <laughs> um, uh, but, uh, but yeah, I don't know what I was saying. Oh, so, I wrote my song about food, because I, I just liked the way she used uh, food metaphors to describe things. And I liked how food uh, represented, you know, different classes. Um, anyway, so if this book was a food, what food would it be? Well... That's my question, and it's because she described the books that Blaine liked. Uh, they were like cotton candy, where the memory of them faded on your tongue.
Eating an Americana by Susan Huang. I wanted you guys to look at the painting. Oh. That Cat Flannery made. Oh, wow. That's so cool. And tell oh, me, yeah. The, the painting, does, does it say Americana to you? It's got stars and stripes. I like that we're looking at a painting on a podcast. <laughs> I know, I know. Awesome. I described it. Right. Paintings. It's very dynamic. I have to say there's a lot of movement in it, which I like because the book was bold and that's you know, what I see. I really like abstract painting, and I like when I see an abstract painting that doesn't remind me of other abstract painters. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's very original. Yeah. The middle bit looks like uh, either a claw, like she's clawing her way yeah. into right. the flag or into America or into a being American or like stamping her handprint mm-hmm. on the experience of America. I don't know if that's right. I like that. But um, it just looks like, like yeah. I'm going to yeah. take Grab that. It. Yeah. And then yeah. It's, like, it's, like two, it's like two parts where she's being cleft. Yeah. Right. right. It's very dynamic. It's coming through. Yeah. It's like the handprints in the caves of the skull. They're like coming through. You guys are the best art class. <laughs> I was an art history major. Were you? <laughs> okay. I don't know crap about art. So I was gonna do a dance and it just wasn't working, so I switched over to a poem. And like a lot of people, was really struck not only with the love story but also with the words that were being used. So here Just in case this is the last time we hold hands, let's really hold hands. When I look at you, I want to see you, the whole of you, and then I can know that I will love you anyway. This vulnerability sparks a frisson. It begins as a tingle at the base of my spine, which rises to meet you in the shortness of my breath as shivers wash over me. And I wonder, is it possible for me to be too happy? The height of my gladness creates space for deeper sorrow. Could I discard them both? Would I? I say yes to the pleasure, yes to the pain. Yes to the possibilities of love and grief. Yes. I say I can be too happy, and I feel fully this happiness just in case it's the last time I am too happy. I say dive deep beneath the glimmering surface of things and come to know your breath. Come to know in your breath and your being. I say hold space for the thrill until it becomes an earthquake that shakes this world. I say try, do, or fail. I say hold hands and sip coffee and dance and love to do these things, to really do these things, just in case. Poetry by Swan Durstein. Anybody want to lift anything from the cock of somewhat truth? Or? Are there little sayings? Just, from- there were like just questions and like little things. But we can all just take one and see what happens. That it gets boring asking this question. Yeah, like that. <laughs> like that. Uh-huh. Should we all take one? Yeah. I took one. Just to see. Mine was Blaine or Kurt, who's worse. I can't even remember who Kurt is at this point. Kurt's a rich boyfriend. Who's Blaine then? I thought Blaine was the rich. No. Kurt was the rich rich white one. Oh, right. Okay. Kurt was the rich white guy. I think maybe Kurt was more bland than Blaine. (laughs) Kurt was more bland than Blaine. (laughs) That was a good line. Jesse says. That's pretty good. What's yours? Oh. um, Say an American word you can't say. I don't know. There I mean, are all those words you're not supposed to say, like oh, like that are oh, acceptable. Oh, uh-huh. <laughs> 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 I love cunt. <laughs> 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 it, it makes me sound because cunts are so strong. 
when they like take a lot of pounding and have children. Sure. And then balls are like this. So we, I was like, balls are I was like, fragile. call me a pun. That is a compliment. Right. Just don't, you know, don't say I have balls because I don't want to get kicked in those, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was told you never talk to strangers. So I never made a peep Till one day there was a fire on the corner And a large crowd had gathered in the street The fire trucks raced up The firemen leapt down And the crowd, it slowly parted And I walked up behind a gentleman And I whispered in his ear I said do you know how it started? He was startled by the sound of my voice, but not near as much as I. For in those six little words, I had left the flatlands and I was all up the east side. things. I realized that amongst my family, and I've taken this on, we, none of us say watermelon. We don't say watermelon aloud. Like, we whisper it. And I didn't realize that wow. until my white boyfriend was like, all of you guys are whispering watermelon. What's going on? Does anyone notice that you're doing that? And like, oh it's, that's 
the only word that it's been brought to my attention. I would say it like it, in normal circumstances, but I guess I in your family I'm like it carries like, a certain weight in yeah. your head. Yeah, we That's were kind whispering of it. Yeah. yeah. It was very odd. It actually makes it worse to yeah. whisper it. Yeah. It's like, oh the watermelon juice is really good. <laughs> 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 for Easter, we would go to the same place that had watermelon juice, and you we would all whisper it. That's really that's awesome. Yeah, he's like, why are you whispering, all of you? So well, glad you got that question. I'm my mom. Is anyone here Nigerian? All right, it's me. So I'm the. <laughs> And I'm honestly so just moved to see so many uh, diverse faces who have read this book. I read it a few years ago when it first came out, and I think it was, you know, one of the the first books that really made me feel seen in a way that um, I don't think most Americans were able to see people who look like me. Um, I recently stumbled upon a New York Times article about young African artists as we are blowing up in the entertainment media industry lately, which is amazing to see. And one of the artists in the article wrote, the young African immigrant must locate herself along three divides. The first between blackness and whiteness, the second within blackness between native and foreign, and the third between African and American. Imagine having to deal with all of this your entire life. It's tiring. It's a beautiful experience, but it's also very, very difficult. I grew up in Bed-Stuy, um, and although I loved it, I wasn't always accepted it because I wasn't black enough. I would get called names like African booty scratcher, or I would get questions about how big was my hut, or how many diseases I had. Just very jarring questions that as an African is just very hard to reconcile when the media shows one thing and only one thing about people who look like you. And all those people who look like you were still very different. And if I didn't know like, you know, the latest raps or anything like that, it was just kind of like, you're weird and it's because you're African, it's because you're an immigrant, it's because of this, this, and this. And again, that's very, very hard to reconcile. And now with Africans, um, I'm not African enough because I am, you know, American in my culture. I grew up here when I was three. I don't really know a lot of like the latest African trends or what's happening in politics. So I'm not completely settled or whole there as well. And of course, it's obvious to hopefully everyone in this room that in the sphere of being an American right now, and with everything that's going on, it's really hard to be settled against where the state of our nation is right now with racial issues. So even though I did grow up here, my mother and um, father really did try to give us African values and instill in us this love and importance of knowing who we are and knowing where we came from. I feel like um, in the sphere of blackness, I do have a privilege to know where my family is from. And that is something I can never take for granted 
that I know the place where I can honor the people who came before me, and that is completely beautiful. And that's another thing that has reminded me of home. And I would just like to say, like, home for me is, you know, at this point, it's the whole world, because I'm going to go around the whole world. That's a fact. And this book has been so special to me. And Chimamanda, she really transformed me to the, the woman I am, into the feminist I am. I don't think I was really a feminist before her. And I think that she's created this book, again, that it's so special to see all of your, your faces here listening and responding to the work and again coming to a deeper understanding of you know people like me we're not really seen that often we're glossed over we're lumped together with people who have the same complexion but a same complexion does not mean a shared culture and i think this book really nailed that on the head and so um with that thank you um that was an excerpt from Ivan Edabiri's talk at City Winery for Bushwick Book Club. She's a Fulbright Scholar, Artistic Director of Parsnipship, and creator of a new web series called African American. Pick a page. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> this is something I underlined, actually. The problem is that water never finds it's different levels here in London. I, just, I really like that line. I wanted to use that in my song about things not finding their levels, but I, I, it didn't make the song. This is the page where he's um, in London. Which friend is he with here? I forgot his name. Yeah, starts with an E, and he's kind of a dick. Yeah. I thought he was more of a cunt. He was <laughs> a total cunt. <laughs> All right. Thanks. With that, we're yeah. we've concluded. I think the that was the book book. I think we got your title for that. Thanks, oh, one yes. book for making all this possible, bringing us together. Mm-hmm. Thanks to Mamanda Ngozi Adichie. Woo-hoo. Thank you guys for writing and reading. Thanks for listening to the second Bushwick Book Club podcast. You can find more information about us, our shows, and our chapters in other U.S. cities and in Malmo, Sweden at bushwickbookclub.com. You can hear full-length versions of all these songs and find links to the songwriters on our Bandcamp page and YouTube channel. Our next show is June 6th at Barbez, inspired by Steve Martin's Born Standing Up and Cruel Shoes. Book-inspired times are good times. Hope you can join us.